Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Gary Allen brings you his new studio album, Ruthless, featuring 13 brand new recordings, including the single Waste of a Whiskey Drink. New music from Gary Allen, Ruthless, available everywhere now. Tell me how you can be so ruthless. Dave Hanratty, and this is No Encore, episode 223 of your beloved No Encore music podcast, joined, as always, by my faithful Kildare counterpart, Craig Fitzpatrick. <laughs> hey, Dave. You're really running with the Kildare thing. I feel like I'm being, like, defined, maybe pigeonholed by it. I know I haven't left the county in, in months now, but um, I'm now fucking Kildare music journalist person. Yeah, you've been marooned, man. And I just kind of wonder, like, do you miss the big city? Does the big city miss you? I'm not sure if it misses me, but I do miss the big city somewhat, yes. It's 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 going to be weird being surrounded by people again. Because even like... I say even, it'll be a while, though, so... Oh, yeah, it will be a while. But even, like, I'm I'm very used to just, like, Zoom interactions and stuff like that now. But when I, like, go into a shop or something or just pass someone I kind of half know... Like when I'm out for a walk or a run, I feel like my kind of my use of words is just failing me. I've lost all ability to interact in real life, essentially. You uh, you wearing a mask while running? Is that possible? <laughs> no, I suppose it's possible. There's probably like breedable ones you can get from Nike for like 200 quid. I don't know. But I'm not. No, I've been keeping my distance, though. I'm a big advocate of like crossing the road and... Have you not seen, I think I've had a few rage tweets over the months where it's just like, 
couples in particular that just insist on walking, usually holding hands on like narrow pathways and not walking in single file as you fucking run into the road to avoid them. There's been a lot of that. I'm a big advocate of crossing the road, says Craig from a 1980s <laughs> advertising agency. Fantastic. <laughs> We can get this out, lads. We can re-spread this message. Um, <laughs> Patreon.com slash noancore if you want to help Craig buy a 200 euro breathable mask because uh, <laughs> it could be the way of the future at this stage. On this episode of No Encore, we'll be talking about the new record from Jarvis Cocker under the form of his Jarv Is moniker. Lots of news as well. And our top five this week is Songs You Hate by Artists You Love. We'll talk about that later on. I thought it was a tricky enough affair this week. What do you think? Yeah, it was, as per usual, you know, I got hung up on the perimeters of, of um, how we're pick, making our selections. Um, I, I didn't have a problem defining what I hated. It was more defining the stuff I loved. Do you know what I mean? Like, what artists did I hold in such esteem that I was really hit badly by their kind of their worst uh, material? I, I ended up going for stuff where it's like it's sur- usually surrounded by better songs and stuff and just totally, totally ruins my enjoyment of it. But uh, yeah, we'll get to it. It's a, it's an interesting one for sure. All right. Doom and gloom coming later on. Uh, also, <laughs> should be noted that the 20th episode of No Popcorn, our music and movies offshoot, landed this week. It's Control and 24-Hour Party People. We have put together all 20 episodes in a handy Spotify playlist, which you can access from that episode itself on Spotify or wherever else you get your, your old shows. And also at No Anchor Show on Twitter. And there's more episodes coming soon because they have been banked. So hopefully we'll increase the frequency there. Um, a couple of, yeah, the next ones that we have, by the way, Miserable Affairs. But, you know, we'll see when we get there. Uh, Something that is not necessarily miserable, but I don't know if it has the uh, I don't know if it has the panache that it ever once did, or if it ever did, is the Mercury Music Prize. Uh, we are recording, of course, on Thursday. Episode comes out Friday. It was Thursday morning when Lauren Laverne on Six Music did the arduous task, and boy was it arduous of listing all twelve long, <laughs> nominees. It just wouldn't fucking stop. I was like, like the Choice Music Prize over here. Usually, like you know, someone comes into the studio, Tony Clayton Lee or whoever, alongside Tracy Clifford, and it's pretty much done in about five minutes like this went on for yeah. a full hour and i was just like for although i kind of don't begrudge six music kind of milking it for all it's worth and being like we'll we'll probably increase our audience by a hundred percent for an hour just by getting people in um yeah, also by the way dave it's 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 the hyundai mercury music price my mistake Proud yeah, car sponsorship there <laughs> that's been going on for a while hasn't it so happy partnership yeah yeah, <laughs> it has been for a while, but it's still, it seems like a weird mix, doesn't it? I don't know. Oh, what, uh, corporate sponsorship and award shows, yeah, uh, unheard <laughs> yeah. of. So the, the 12 the twelve acts, because it is 12, yes. uh, are Anna Meredith and Fibs, Charlie XEX and How I'm Feeling Now, Dua Lipa, Future Nostalgia, Georgia, Seeking Thrills, Kano, Hoodies All Summer, Lanterns on the Lake, Spook the Herd, Laura Marling, Song for Our Daughter, Michael Kuanuka with Kuanuka, Moses Boyd and Dark Matter, Porridge Radio, Every Bad, Sports Team and Deep Down Happy, and finally Stormzy and Heavy is the Head. And do not worry, dear listener, if you're like, I don't know half of these people. Uh, I'm a music journalist. I haven't heard half of these. Have you? Uh, I'm relieved because I was very, I was concerned. I'm like, what? How did half of these pass me by? No, I haven't heard half them either. Um, it's very UK even some of I suppose. the yeah even some of the names were kind of escaping me like lanterns on the lake I I actually hadn't heard of that act prior to this list and then other albums I just kind of had no interest in in checking out I still haven't really checked out Charlie's album um, 
And yeah, the likes of sports team, I guess we'll, we'll go through it, but just wouldn't do anything for me. A couple of big omissions, obviously, Dave. Uh, FKA Twigs yeah. being maybe the most obvious, particularly for, for like listeners to this show. Obviously, it was our album of the year last year. And our song of the year. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Magdalene, Cellophane was song of the year. Magdalene was our album of the year. And that is kind of jarring, I would have thought. I mean, like, there was a thing during the week where Nadine Shah, who has previously been nominated for the award, put up a couple of 1am tweets and they were basically saying, like, oh, it's a fucking disgrace that, like, I'm not getting nominated in the 1975 R. And then those tweets yeah. were deleted the next day. But then she tweeted again and said, I didn't delete those tweets. My record label did, and they probably do that as well with these ones. But then the 1975 didn't get nominated, so <laughs> I don't know what kind of information she was given. Uh, so that's yeah. arguably a snub. The 1975 arguably a snub. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, th- I think on the Irish side of things, uh, Lancome and Girl Band didn't get in. I think some people were expecting that maybe they would. I mean, this obviously has mostly skewed towards the UK but they do include Irish acts Fontaines were nominated last year um, yeah. so I was kind of surprised not to see one of those get in but once I think once the list started unfolding though I was like this is very British indie and I just don't see how anyone else is getting in as always I'd be kind of interested in seeing like who was on the panel and how that sh- shook down um, it's not the most exciting earth chattering list I um like right off the back, Kuanuka is probably my shout. I think he, he, I don't know if he's the favourite. I certainly think that's a terrific album and be a wordy winner. Um, I was listening to Kano today. That's terrific. Actually, weirdly, it opens with um that song Hannah from Asta Chang that I picked as my number one uh, non-English language song last week. Um, So off to a great start. But yeah, as as we were saying, I haven't heard a, a huge amount of it. Stormzy's album was good, but I, I don't know if it's an award winner. Uh, Dua Lipa is a time for like a huge pop album to get the Mercury Prize. I feel like enough people will kind of kick against that to stop regretting it. Well, I mean, people who won't kick against it, of course, are the Dua Lipa stands, the Hive. And um, <laughs> I was curious to see what was going on when these were going out on Twitter, on the Mercury Prize's Twitter, because they're obviously tagging everybody in. And it was interesting to see who was getting traction and who wasn't. And of course, the likes of Dua Lipa, Charlie XCX got more retweets than others. So I looked down. I looked down like the first couple of comments on the on the Dua Lipa one and there was just these you know very obviously Stan accounts like Dua Lipa profile pictures and so on or anime stuff or whatever and it's like one response said I don't know what this is and then the next one said it's apparently the most important award in British music history <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Uh, it isn't. <laughs> like, tell you. That would be it's the Ivor Novello. <laughs> As we all know, it's the Ivor Novello. As we all know. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, I, I can't get excited about award shows, but the Mercury Prize has always felt very sterile to me. Can you name last yeah. year's winner? Go ahead. Uh, no, I actually can't. And we obviously covered I, it extensively on this show. Off the top of my head, I can't. Who was it? I'm fairly certain it was Dave with Psychodrama. Uh, I it think was, it was. Yeah. A wordy do you, winner. Do you remember the year before? Do you remember, do you remember the year no. before, Craig? M people. <laughs> uh, no, the year before was Wolf Wolf Alice. But yeah, it's just like it's not a big deal. And also, like, there's all kinds of shenanigans where I think if you, you get to, nominated, you, you have to pay 500 quid for a ticket. Like, it's like fuck that. Yeah, I think you have to pay to even be considered as well, and have to have a kind of sizable marketing budget. There's been a lot. I'm not sure. Maybe it's changed in recent years, but for years there was kind of. A lot of criticism over how exclusive it was and how it kind of kept out indie artists. Um, so, yeah, it is, you know, if Hyundai didn't tip you off, it's very corporate. 
I was about to say, I hope you very at least get picked up in a Hyundai stretch limo or something. That would be pretty good, wouldn't it? You know? <laughs> do they do those? <laughs> I, I, I have to imagine so. If they're sponsoring the likes of this in like World Cup 2018, I don't know. But um, They can stretch keep, to a limo. Uh, keeping it in the UK, very Brexit of us. Um, some sad news this week. Q Magazine, which ran past tense now, unfortunately, for 34 years, I think I've given away the game. It's done. There will be a new yeah. issue on the 28th of July, but that will be the final issue of the magazine. Um, before we get into Craig's, uh, no doubt, prepared melodramatic soliloquy that he has for us this week. Uh, as noted, the magazine was founded in 1986 with a focus on rock, rock pop and alternative music. Uh, it was very, very popular. I think a lot of people who love music probably would have had some kind of flirtation with the magazine. Um, at its height, it was apparently selling more than 200,000 copies. That was around 2001. However, its circulation as of 2020 had dwindled to just over 28,000 and less than half of that was coming from newsstands sales. Um, this all kind of broke. I know it's, it, it's, it's one one of those horrible signs of the times kind of thing. This all broke at the start of the week when um, Ted Kessler, the outgoing editor, the final editor of the magazine, unless some miracle happens, went to Twitter and said, I've got some bad news. The issue that comes out next will be our last. The pandemic did for us and there was nothing more to it than that. I've attached our final cover and my editor's letter for context. On the plus side, we're all available for work. So uh, hire those people. Um, but yeah, in his editor's letter, though, I dove into it and he said, this is the final issue of Q, an eventuality that nobody could have predicted as recently as March. We've been a lean operation for all of my tenure, employing a variety of ways to keep our head above water in an extremely challenging print market. And COVID-19 wiped all of that out. Closes by saying all farewells should be sudden, wrote Byron, but we've milked ours to the maximum. This issue is designed to be enjoyed as the accompaniment to last month's edition. Each corroborates the other. They're a one-off double A side, a twin salute to Britain's last great contemporary music magazine. Hopefully these final issues will provide the inspiration for someone canny enough to fill that huge Q-shaped hole in the newsstand. If they do, I know just the editorial team. See you on the other side. And of course, the vast majority in response from myself and yourself included was one of like, oh, bollocks, man, this, this sucks. But let me ask you a question, Craig. When was the last time that you bought Q magazine? It's got to be five years ago at this point, I'd say. And even then, it was an extremely irregular thing. Like, I haven't been a a loyal reader for, well, since my teens, essentially. And I guess that's what's kind of done them in. Um, and certainly, obviously, with, with the whole COVID thing, people are just not venturing out and picking up magazines. So I'm guessing that kind of did further a circulation, which is really kind of stark. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it's been absolute years. And like, Q's obviously had its detractors over the years and there's a lot of um there's a lot of reasons to criticize the magazine over the years um just kind of more light-hearted ones where you know it was a bit safe uh it could be accused of like championing kind of dad rock to sell stuff you know on covers and things and it was just you know you'd get constant lists but actually if you kind of dug into it there was as is the case with a lot of magazines like really good stuff in there once you started reading it and the lists when you're like a you know 13 or 14 year old trying to figure out you know what's the canon or what should i listen to or particularly at a time when you have to spend like 15 20 quid on a cd that you, you just don't have um, they were actually really helpful to kind of form, you kind of f- put some structure on, okay, this is like the cream of the crop. Here's what I need to check out. So a large kind of part of um, my listening over the years was informed by Q. So got to be grateful for that. Yeah, it was very formative. I mean, you mentioned some of the detractors. Uh, some criticism has come out, of course. Some people have accused the magazine of being a bit kind of blokey and sexist at times, and it definitely was. I mean, there was there were some occasions where I recall it being like, 
trying to fill that kind of, you know, FHM, but for music or something at times. I remember like they would yeah. have like, they had like, you know, a Lily Allen photo shoot that was very, you know, raunchy and same with Pink one time or another. Um, Shirley Manson of Garbage actually this week on Garbage's Instagram page put up a cover that they were on back in the 90s, I can only presume, uh, March 1997 apparently. Um and she's on the cover, photographed by Ian Rankin, and the strap line, though, is, look at me, I'm not hot, sexy, or submissive, garbage, Shirley Manson opens her mouth. So she put up a, a, a an Instagram post about this saying, while I'm sad to see another specialised music magazine bite the dust and feel concerned for the future of serious and specialised music journalism, I can't say I'm too heartbroken that we won't have to endure any more of these ridiculous, harmful, sexist taglines anytime soon. When this edition of Q first came out, it should have felt like a such a triumph for me in the band. Instead, I was deeply embarrassed and humiliated by it, not because the joyful photograph is taken by uh, legendary British photographer Ian Rankin, but along uh, because of the nasty insinuating drivel that they chose to add alongside it. Times have changed, thank goodness, but boy, do we still have a long, long way to go before female and non-conforming, non-binary artists are accorded the same levels of respect as our male contemporaries. And I mean, I think it's important to kind of show both sides there. I don't think that Q was too bad in terms of yeah there was a lot worse out there but that's clearly did make mistakes and there would have been a blokey culture there you read some of the anecdotes from the office and so on um for me it was something that i read for a certain amount of time i think i remember giving it up when they gave razor light second album five out of five i was like that's it for me guys see ya (laughs) um they also gave in the same year by the way red hot chili peppers stadium arcadium double album nightmare did they give that a five they gave by the way (laughs) five i remember that I actually probably had stopped properly reading at that point as well. But yeah, there was, you know, accusations over the years that you could maybe buy a, a decent review. I don't know if Chili Peppers would have done that. I feel like maybe Razorlight might have. Um, I'm not going to put that on them. But yeah, there was some... Although I remember actually reading that r- review and I believe the editor wrote the review, Paul Reese, who kind of had questionable music taste anyway. And he was just fawning over it like he really he sold it if you know what i mean if he if he didn't feel that way well bravo but um yeah no definitely like i remember i remember over the years just even as a teen you'd kind of some of the some of the subheads and some of the kind of picture captions you'd be like eh that's a bit like not funny and also a bit gross it was probably one of the better music magazines but i think yeah all magazines around that time seem to be that case i don't do you know i think it all comes back to the sub editors <laughs> usually the case <laughs> they're the ones you have to watch for they just crowbar in like awful off-town stuff not accusing them all but <laughs> no listen i mean like, way, we can speak for, we can speak from experience like that did happen to us yeah. quite a bit in the in the old well, it can, well it can happen <laughs> you know the, the actual content of the article can be perfectly fine i didn't read the the shirley manson cover story but I'm guessing maybe the main writer gave them fair shrift and then just like to try and sex it up. Um, They throw on a bunch of stuff. I've actually got a whole stack of you beside me, I've just realised. Is this like your... Is it, this is your shrine? Oh wow! Greatest gigs ever. Which is amazing. I love that you're. I, I love that you're holding this up for me on a visual medium as you drift further from the microphone, enticing Sorry, the yeah. listener to wonder what this looks like. It looks like Craig yeah. in his bedroom holding up a copy I've of got, Q magazine. I've got a, a September two thousand and four issue. The uh, one thousand and ten songs you must own for your iPod. That was a big iPod toy, and I think, uh, yeah, a whole stack of them there. The greatest gigs seems cool. The last time I uh, like, bought it was. 
Uh, all right, yeah, you, you go ahead and have a read there. I'll, I'll just take the show for a while. The last time, uh, no, no, seriously, like, like go ahead. Uh, I, the last time I bought it was when we went to Norway for Coleman's wedding. I bought the one with oh, Ezra yeah. Koenig of Vampire Weekend on the front cover. I will go out and buy this last album when it comes out. I've actually been looking for the current issue, uh, even though it has a five-star Fontaine's album review. I still want to get it, but I don't know if I'll be able to pick it up because none of the local places have them. Um, it's it's your classic sign of the times, isn't it? It's just like people aren't buying magazines, etc. It does suck. I, I will say that at its best, right? Q was awesome at its best. I mean, there there was some great writing in there, like in amongst the you know questionable choices and umpteen fucking covers of Paul Weller and Bono and the Gallagher yeah. brothers. Like there was some excellent specialist stuff in there. It's actually something that Shirley Manson kind of mentions. She mentions like she's worried about the future specialized, uh, I guess, reportage or whatever. And again, I've mentioned it before, but I remember reading it once when I didn't know who the fuck we were life were, and there was like six pages on them. Well, like really good photos and so like these things are luxuries now they just don't really exist and also um i don't know if you recall but i recall this i remember when we were in hot press uh it was actually you interviewed vampire weekend and i remember saying to you yeah. i was like this is gonna be a cover on the hot press like and i'm just like i think we were just, we were both so jaded and burned out by just constantly churning out generic interviews with generic quotes and I was like, pretend you're writing for Q, man. I was like, like that's what I would, that's, it's what I would do. I'd be like, you know, like, like I'd yeah. be like, pretend you're writing for an actual And I was like, I already was. Yeah. <laughs> because, because yeah, I remember you, the you pep talk you gave me around then, By the way, sorry. Alex Ferguson-esque, you know. Just flicking through this, right? Hold on. I'm trying to find what date this is from. How many problematic instances are you finding? Well, hold on. Something that's quite... Um, all right, this is June 2004, right? There's a tiny little feature called Big Mouth Strikes Again. <laughs> and the sub reads, Pithy and patriotic, Morrissey has a lot in common with buffoonish TV presenter Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> Don't no believe way. it? Look at the quotes below and see if you can guess who said what. And they've got a quiz. Um, oh, you want to do it? Let's actually do it, yeah. Okay, I've got, okay, the, okay, they've got right. the upside down answer, so I have the answers. All right, <laughs> there's six of them. All right, number one, right? So um, guess who said it? Guess who said it, yeah. So, question, uh, quote number one, finding people with taste is a rare thing nowadays. Everything went downhill from the moment the McDonald's chain was given license to invade England. Okay, so despite the fact that I can actually hear it in both their voices simultaneously, and I think I might need to go to the doctor, I will say that the answer to question one is Morrissey. You are correct, sir. I guess the McDonald's thing, <laughs> the whole, you know vegetarian angle yeah <laughs> that that said it up, on. but the phrase the phrase invade england brought it back so <laughs> it's like one of his lyrics yeah okay uh quote number two whatever happens to proper violence at football matches <laughs> jeremy clarkson like uh, <laughs> yeah. marcy marcy's never watched a football match in his life he, he did have a song called roy's keen like the worst pun ever like he seems to occasionally take a shining to football players without actually watching the matches all right number three um just look what we're putting on the world stage these days our prime minister has the statesman-like qualities of a goblin and our foreign secretary looks like a gargoyle that could really be either of them it could be like one of jeremy clarkson's sunday fucking paper rent a quote columns or it could be morrissey at a gig so i will split the difference and say that it's morrissey writing on his blog it is Clarkson, fortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's Clarkson. All right, uh, two for three, pretty good. Okay, every time I get a tax demand and I look at the figures, I literally drop 11 stone in weight, uh, which makes me a very light person. Jeremy Clarkson? Morrissey. Why would Morrissey be banging on about tax? 
I don't know. I, I guess that's why he left England. <laughs> Only to watch it be man. invaded. Okay, two for four. You've got two more to, to bring it back. Okay, <laughs> quote okay. number five. There is simply no difference between, oh God, okay, 50 Cent, Wycliffe Sean and Black Eyed Peas, except for the amount of times each of them has been shot. Okay, who's the more racist is the real question here. Uh, That, again, it could be either of them. How often does Clarkson venture into the world of music? So, oh God, I think it's, I think it's Clarkson. It's Clarkson. (laughs) Back in the game. (laughs) Get the fuck in. Three, two. (laughs) Also, okay, finally, (laughs) finally, level scores, okay. Uh, I'm not saying that Americans are models of perfection, but calling them diseased orangutans is a little extreme. They're a couple of steps up from that. Morrissey. Comparing people to animals. Yes, it is Morrissey. New win. <laughs> I'm 4-2. Four four two. Two. Amazing. Well done. <laughs> uh, I'll do Christ. it. I'll- I'll, I'll close off this whole uh, section here um, yeah. by by saying that if you do recall, because I, I sent you the photograph of this recently because I was I was home for like my mother's birthday and I went into my mm. my childhood room and I found Morrissey's autobiography on my shelf. Oh, Remember a simpler man, time yeah. where you could where you could buy Morrissey things and be like whatever. But if you do recall, um, the instant Penguin Classic thing that is Morrissey's four hundred and fifty seven page uh, autobiography. We, uh, we've we waxed lyrical, and listen, this is not a pro Morrissey podcast, but like the last paragraph in that book just always knocks me for six. I, I took a photograph of it and I sent it to you that day. <laughs> um, okay. So I, I, I've dug out the photograph, Craig. So uh, on, Morrissey's book, if you've never read it, concludes with Three. him. I think it's like, it's like after a gig in Chicago or something um, in 2011, apparently. And he goes, as I board the tour bus, a fired encore is still ringing in my ears. And then suddenly a separated female voice calls out to me, full of cracked now or never embarrassment above the still Illinois winter atmosphere of midnight. And it was dark and I looked the other way. And that's the end of the book. (laughs) Oh, what a closing sentence. Yeah. Devastation. Absolute devastation. Um, So I guess the opposite of devastation, jubilation is apparently happening. As Boris Johnson has said, it's okay to go to gigs again in the UK. I don't know why this is such a UK-centric news section. But like, yeah, from August 1st with um, social distancing, of course. Um, whether that's stuck to is another thing. Um, yeah, obviously the UK has been way more kind of scattered brains than even Ireland or leagues ahead of Ireland in terms of the mixed messaging they're giving. Um, I saw Whelan's here is opening, it's back open the tent with like vastly reduced numbers, which is good. Um, but yeah, like, like the culture secretary over there has welcomed the move, um, welcome step in the path to a return to normal. Obviously, there's been a there's been a rescue package pulled together, 1.57 billion for the the industry over there, which wasn't getting a penny um for months and months as like they remained completely closed and you know everyone else was kind of bailed out. So much needed for the industry. Not sure how wise it is. Not sure it'll even make a difference in the UK though, because they've been I don't know. It just seems like absolute chaos over there. So the kind of you know. The horse is bolted. It's probably much of a muchness at this point. It's just running rampant across the country. Not to be flippant, but they've handled it so poorly. 
Back home, as you say, Whelan's is bed to reopen. I believe their capacity is going from 450 to just 88 people. I'm confident yeah. that no Encore could sell that out. <laughs> so, <laughs> Let's do uh, it. One, one thing we couldn't sell out, though, is drive-in gigs, Craig, because after all the hubbub, oh. and we've talked about it previously, after Gavin James's one-man quest, although I guess he wasn't alone because Aslan and Hermitage Green were also due to perform dates in Cork, Limerick, Kilkenny and Waterford as part of the Live at the Drive-In series, which I think was coming up next month, maybe, um, and also was sold out, I believe, so this isn't a case of like, oh, bad ticket sales. Uh, if you haven't heard, it's not happening. What's wrong, Craig? Yeah, it was advice um, from the government that basically it shouldn't go ahead. It wasn't um, It wasn't in line with government guidelines. And Gavin James has talked about how disappointed he is with the decision. It does, listen, we kind of, you know, we were very much um, not going to these shows and we kind of had a bit of fun and games with the initial announcement, um, which I felt bad about when they, uh, when this kind of, this kind of came um, about. But it, it, it strikes me as strange that they couldn't go ahead when they were driving gigs, people were isolated in their cars and we're seeing so many other restrictions being lifted. It's, I don't know, right? Like it seemed like this was a safe enough thing if all the kind of regulations were stuck to. Yeah, no? and I mean, ultimately, I, I, don't, I don't get it. No one seems to really understand no. it. I mean, some people are suggesting that maybe it's like actually some kind of weird backlash thing. Maybe there's some stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know. But I mean, at the same time, yeah, I share your sentiment. We took the piss out of it, but we took the piss out of it because it was a surreal thing. And ultimately, we were like, fair enough, like, let it go ahead. And actually, to be honest, at this stage, I'm kind of gutted. I actually wanted to go to like report on it or something. Yeah, yeah. Although I, although I don't drive, so I don't know how I would have done it. But I would have figured something out, stowed away in someone's boot or something. But I mean, essentially, like the thing is, it is bad and I feel bad for those involved because, yeah, it is people missing out on money. And it would have been like at least some kind of not a token gesture, but it would have been some kind of, you know, tangible acknowledgement that, you know, gigs are back to some degree. And obviously work has gone into it. So I do sympathize with those involved and it sucks. It is confusing as fuck, though. Is it just a case of, like, we can't trust people to not drink and drive, or we can't trust people to not take the piss, or get out of their car and get so whipped up in the frenzy of Aslan that they just can't stay in their glass box of doom? I mean, I don't know. It just seems to me like, if the problem is, you know, a lack of foresight, well then, why the fuck did you give it a green light in the first place and waste everyone's time, you know? It's pretty bad yeah. for, who- it for whoever's like made the decision. It seems very short-sighted. Yeah, they don't point to any specific, like, official guidelines that have been, you know, were at risk of being broken. The, you know, as they say, the statement does talk about them being in kind of consultation, like, seeking advice from different government offices and them just kind of putting the nicks on it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if, as you say, there might be something else going on behind the scenes or, yeah, but um, it's got to be devastating for the people involved. So it's, it's a lot of work and, yeah, fair play to Gavin James for trying to give something back to, you know, people working in industry that you often forget about. Like, it's all kind of focused on artists and mus- musicians who are, of course, hurting, but it's it's right across the board. It's, it's, it's a huge operation, a gig, and all of those people are still out of work. You can stop the angelic tones of Gavin James. You cannot stop the aggressive majesty that is new metal. Last weekend, a three-day Wisconsin new metal festival, uh, apparently at one point it was going to be called Herd Immunity, went ahead. Did they drop that? Um, <laughs> they did drop that, it seems, yeah. The Stereogum report is to be believed. Uh, the event, which ran last weekend, included performances from Static X, Saving Abel, Adelita's Way, Flaw, Sponge, and more. Uh, just for the record, listener, I am familiar with 
three of those acts. Um, oh, three? That's not bad. <laughs> not bad, yeah. Um, it took place on the lawn of the Q&Z Expo Center in Wisconsin. Um, so the lawn. It was... It's like five it people that, like, I know, yeah. It says, like, Wisconsin state mandates permitted the festival, but local officials were less than happy um, that it was occurring. Uh, after they found out about it on The View, okay. Um, prior to the event, Static X uh, posted a long statement encouraging attendees to practice social distancing and wear a mask, saying, while your community leaders have deemed this to be a safe and acceptable gathering, we'd still like to personally ask for each and every one of you to go the extra mile to help everyone to remain safe. So it went ahead, and it didn't get out of control. Um Whoever was running the social media of this event, though, has an attitude because they put up some photographs and were like, things are going great, Block Capitals. People are being very respectful. Bet all the BS media won't be writing stories about this. Notice the social distancing proving that live music can be done during times like these. And of course, I'm reading this from a a media report that covered the event. Didn't take the piss out of it. You know, like this thing of like automatic thing of like, I don't know about you, man, but like not to get too serious on the old podcast here for a second, but the amount of times I'm seeing stuff being like, no one's talking about what's going on in this place. And it's like, Google it, motherfucker. I guarantee you there's plenty (laughs) of news stories that you're just not seeing circulate as much as the rest of them. Uh, The important thing here, Craig, is that new metal cannot be defeated and will never be defeated. And yeah, nothing's right now, more needed more than ever. <laughs> nothing's more reassuring than um, posts that have random block caps, <laughs> just to let everyone know that everything is absolutely a okay. Um, yeah, especially when it comes from an official source, you know. Like I, like I personally, I think you know, like the news should be more like that. Just whoever comes on and like is talking <laughs> to me about whatever's going on in my day, I want them to scream every random word like a high school American football coach. Further proof that new metal is actually a force for greatness is came in the fact that uh, Lincoln Park have sent Donald Trump a cease and desist order after last weekend a campaign style video was retweeted by the forty sixth is he president of the United States forty fifth I can't remember when I worked sure. for Joe to 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 mix up the repetition I used to always just throw that in there as opposed to just Trump or the U S president so I used to always be well, like, well you know well, what I'll he is this. he's um he's the first racist president according to Joe Biden which has upset a lot That's of people correct, yes <laughs> yeah. there's never been a racist president before no, in the not even the slave the owners back in the day um. Well, we won't get into all that, um, but we will say that Donald Trump retweeted this fucking bizarre video that included this kind of like slow down version of, I think I think it was In the End by my beloved Linkin Park. And this happened before with Nickelback and definitely others where like the people involved go to Twitter, they issue a Digital Millennium Copyright Act notice, and then the thing gets taken down. And yeah. essentially that's what's happened. There's not a lot to it really. Like Lincoln Park just said like, you know, we don't endorse them. We never have, we never will. Uh, this is a lot of bullshit. I just wanted to mention it to be like, you know, yes, Fair Lincoln Park, lads. good stuff. Fair <laughs> yeah, lads. And, great bunch uh, of lads. It's just like, uh, great it's bunch also lads. Kind of int- it's kind of interesting that it's moved from, like there used to be a lot of these stories maybe in previous kind of presidential campaigns around the use of songs at like rallies. Like you get a lot of like Bruce Springsteen like stops John McCain using Born in the USA and like people are like, oh, he doesn't get that it's actually a protest song, blah, blah, blah. But now it's moved to like kind of memes because Trump is just constantly like retweeting stuff and it's it's now not just kind of like what the soundtrack song is at the rally. It's like weird bits of content that's being passed around online that Trump is seizing on and kind of dispersing. And it's almost like, almost like part of the game and part of it is him riling up the kind of content creators. And, you know, it feels like it's an extension of his trolling almost. I'm sure he doesn't have a clue what's going on, but it just, that's the way it kind of seems to work. Just more and more chaos. 
I do have to wonder if there's any rhyme or reason to this. If like people actually have good intentions and someone on the press team or the social media team like thinks that Trump is like 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 that Lincoln Park will be pro Trump or Nickelback will be pro Trump. If that's the case, I mean, what do we know of any bands that are pro Trump? Or I, I know that band Trapped who have a song called Headstrong, which is a bit of a new metal buff from back in the day. I know that their frontman has been getting into all kinds of horrendous back and forth with people because he's definitely a pro-Trump guy. Um, who would you say, if you had to put money on it, if a gun was put to your head and you were like, this person is definitely pro-Trump? Kid Rock? Ted Nugent? Kid Rock, I think I think both of them might be confirmed as being pro-Trump, yeah. Um, obviously, sadly, the bass is from Nirvana. Oh yeah, of course, you know, Chris Novoselic, Chris, uh, the, uh, the drummer, yeah. the drummer from System of a Down. Of course, we talked about that recently. Yeah, that was that was upsetting. Oh my God, who would who would really upset yeah. you? Like, and also here's oh, well, you, I right? mean, because US yeah. politics. I mean, don't get me wrong, like it, it it is a big deal, but you can kind of tune out of it if you really want to. It's is it, is it such a level of cancellation a la like something horrendous that may have happened before where you're like, well, I can't, you know, listen to that guy anymore, that band anymore. Like if if, if your favourite band came out tomorrow and we're like, we're pro Donald Trump, would you still listen or would it bother you that much? Would you be like, ah, oh, listen, we can I, agree I, to disagree. I would still listen, but um, I guess we can, we kind of have that luxury because we are not living in that country and it's kind of spectacle for us. I think we might take a different stance if we were living in America, you know, US citizens watching the chaos being like, okay, our democracy is like really genuinely under threat right now like our society is kind of crumbling i think then i'd be like okay you know affect them um but you know when you're kind of slightly out of remove it does seem less serious than you know of course artists committing crimes or stuff like that but it's yeah it's not good it, didn't he have a bunch of bands play his inauguration i know there was one like meme going around where it's him sitting there like bopping away with melania to um was it was it All Star or something like that? I don't think they actually play. You know the song All Star. Who who performs? Smash Mouth. Who of course Smash run Mouth, a who are very anti. They run a serious yeah. Twitter game and they've denounced Trump several times. I believe. Yeah, they did. Yeah, but don't I feel like Smash he did Mouth have times. a lineup. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he had an inauguration lineup of acts, and he was really scraping the bottom of the barrel. It was like almost like tribute bands and stuff. It was just embarrassing for him. So um, he's ne- he's never really of- recovered. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of uh, in terms of old school feuds, I believe you have an update on the one that we're, we're, we're all concerned about, Craig, because uh, we did talk about this actually on uh, on No Popcorn on our Control slash Twenty Four Hour Party People episode, which is out now. We did wonder. We were like, you know, Peter Hook, Bernard Sumner. I mean, like, is that okay? Like, what wh- what are they like these days? Has it calmed down? It's not okay, Dave. It hasn't calmed down. Peter Hook's been talking about it because, of course, he has. Um, he said of the feud with uh, Bernard Sumner, "I defy any human not to bear a grudge." Um, saying that like he says these kind of inflammatory things he's very quotable but then when you kind of dig into his quotes he's usually the person that's like well of course i do you know get the band back together and like you know i feel like he is the kind of bloke that will call you a prick and then be like asher just get over it we're still mates kind of thing whereas the rest of the band were like hooky we want nothing to do with you um so yeah he was asked about it um and it was like it was all about like you know financial wranglings back a couple of years ago um yeah, so I'm just looking at his quotes here. So what he was saying was that basically um, to start a band in 1980 from the ashes of your lead singer's suicide and then have it cruelly taken off you 31 years later by the other members of the band. That's when he says, I defy any human being not to bear a grudge. Uh, if it wasn't for the wife, I'd probably be in prison now. Wow. So <laughs> that's a big statement. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the art um, Yeah, the article by the way then <laughs> quite a quite a link <laughs> 
continues with, speaking of ending up in prison, uh, <laughs> Hucky also recalled a close encounter with Prince Andrew. Um, we don't know if Prince Andrew will end up in prison. He probably will not, um, because obviously he's innocent until proven guilty and a completely, um, you know, safe member of Jesus the British Royal Christ, Family. Craig, get this back on track. <laughs> So yeah, Huggy was talking about years back when um, Andrew was married to Fergie. And there was, of course, like Andrew doesn't like to party. He's never been one to party. But he did mistake the band for fashion designers. So Huggy was uh, recalling the the story. He said the manager of an LA club called Stock Exchange was given an, an open budget to entertain Prince Andrew and Fergie on their trip to help English fashion designers. This guy was a mad New Order fan and paid us a fortune to play five songs. He did the unspeakable and gave us a huge bag of marching powder to ruin the night for everyone, which it did. We were completely out of our minds. It was fantastic. When we started to play, we were so loud that the Secret Service men ran over to the PA and shot it out. <laughs> Prince Andrew's <laughs> Secret Service guys shooting out New Order's PA. Incredible. I feel like what a villain. I feel like there's one or two exaggerations in that story. The marching power may have oh, had yeah. an effect on his memory. Also, by the way, I love that he's like, <laughs> he did the unspeakable. Oh, a musician cocaine? Oh, I mustn't. Uh, what are you talking about? Like, also, earlier on when you were saying he was asked about it, about New Order, I'm like, no fucking way he was asked about it, really. That guy can't do an interview without it coming up. Like, it's it's more of a challenge to just somehow never mention it. But of course, you know he'll give you quotes. It's like the time when I interviewed Stuart Brightway from Mogwai. And I ran out yeah. of questions and I, and I panicked. It was a live interview. And I went, uh, remember this. <laughs> do you still, do you still hate blur? And then he was like, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, stir up right with everybody. Like, <laughs> checking. Okay. So Peter Hook is, uh, is doing well. Uh, how's David Byrne doing these days? Um, David Byrne is doing fine, I think, but his old drummer uh, has a bone to pick with him. So Chris France, who was co-founder of Talking Heads back in the day, he's got a new book out, Dave, and I'm like really torn. It's called Remain in Love. I think the title is about his relationship with Tina Weymouth, uh, obviously legendary bassist in uh, Talking Heads as well. And they've been a couple for decades upon decades. Um, but the meat and potatoes of the book seems to be about their journey as a band and the kind of prickly relationship they had uh, with David Byrne. I say I'm kind of on the fence about this one because it seems like I just seeing some of the excerpts, it's like it's great anecdotes, lots of colour. He talks about like, you know, meeting Patti Smith and her being a bit standoffish. Lou Reed wanted to like basically take them on, under his wing, but also sign all the rights away to him. Uh, Johnny Ramone calling like uh, Stonehenge a bunch of rocks, like when they're on tour in England. It just sounds great. But Chris Franz definitely seems very bitter and um, kind of goes into the minutia of like not quite getting the songwriting credits he felt he deserved and David Byrne being like, a little bit of an odd character and you know he, he says you know he seemed to be on the high end of the spectrum um i it just kind of felt a bit distasteful for me because obviously david Byrne has talked about how um like he kind of might be on the spectrum and he, you know he is a kind of unconventional dude um an absolute genius character it seems weird to be talking out of school about him over kind of what seems to be quite slight things. I don't know. Have you had a look at some of the excerpts? Um, I agree with you. Uh, it's it's kind of like, I think it's one of the reasons why it's not quite comparable, but just in case anyone's wondering why we're not talking about Kanye West this week, it's because ultimately I don't want to pry, you know, and I kind of feel like it's a complex issue and it's one that yeah, deserves a lot of empathy and, and there's, there's so many hot takes going around. 
I think with, when you drill down into in, into the really personal and the potentially kind of to use someone's kind of makeup against them, I'm never on board with, which isn't necessarily a direct yeah. parallel here, but it reminded me of it a little bit. Sorry, just in a, in breaking Irish political news, Craig, you'd be glad to know that Eamon Ryan has been elected leader of the Greens. He will stay on his position as Green Man. Uh, I believe he won by a whopping 48 votes, proving the power of sleeping in public. It is, in fact, a good yeah, platform to Go back to, to sleep now, Eamon. <laughs> Job done. Someone wake him up and tell him he's won. Um, oh, sorry, uh, David Byrne. By the way, if a film was made today about David Byrne, who would you cast? Oh God, um, I don't know. You clearly have someone in mind, right? No, I don't. It's more of a link to the next news story, and I was hoping that you could fill that gap pretty quickly. <laughs> oh shit! I'll, I'll just say. I'll just Dave say Michael Franco? Shannon. No, it can't be Dave Franco because oh, Dave damn. Franco is in fact playing Vanilla Ice, Craig. It's been confirmed that Dave Franco, funny you should mention him, is playing Vanilla Ice in a film called To the Extreme. Uh, it's currently in pre-production. He's hoping to get it all finalised pretty quickly. Uh, the lesser of two evils, I think, when it comes to the Franco brothers. Now, I wouldn't necessarily be a oh, fan. Jesus, that's case, saying, saying something. I can put up with Dave Franco, whereas if James Franco's in your movie, I don't want to see it ever. Uh, Insider reports that the younger, I guess he's younger, is he younger? Um, has signed he is on younger, to yeah. 90s rapper. Um, and it will chronicle Vanilla Ice's rise from a high school dropout selling cars in Dallas to having the first hip-hop single to top the Billboard charts with Ice Ice Baby, the definitive 90s era Cinderella story. Um, essentially, Franco has talked about this project and how like we're not going to take the piss out of him. Uh, he said he's actually a very sweet and intelligent guy. Rob Van Winkle is his is his real name, by the way, in case anyone did not know that. Yeah. Um, he's been super helpful in the process, getting all the details correct. I'm sure it's a very complex drill down there uh, and making us privy to information that the public doesn't know. Uh, I just talking to him, I can't help but think about all the rabbit holes I'm going to go down to get ready for the role. Uh, I'm sure it will just involve a terrible haircut and a lot of mugging. But essentially, he did say that, don't worry, it's not going to be like, you know, people thought when we made that film, The Disaster Artist, about the room, that we we're going to take the piss out of Tommy Wiseau. But it was kind of somewhere in between and we found the truth in the man, blah, 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 blah. I've never seen yeah. The Disaster Artist. I've never seen The Room. That whole kind of thing never really appealed to me. And I'm sure we'll end up doing this on No Popcorn if it comes out in the next two years or so. But other than that, does a Vanilla Ice movie strike you as something you want to see? I mean, kind of. I don't think I've ever seen Dave Franco in anything. Have I? Did he, is there some big film that he was in for five minutes that I might have... Like, I think he's I've just the, seen him, like, tagging uh, along with his program. He's in the 21 Jump Street thing? With, with, which okay, is not yeah, bad. no, I didn't see that. I mean, Vanilla Ice... Um, as a story, I think is pretty compelling. It's it's quite a strange rise. You've got all that stuff where he was like allegedly dangled out of a a window, like off a balcony by Shug Knight, and just yeah, he seemed to kind of like almost like a Forrest Gump style character who just had run-ins with various kind of um, musicians over the the course of the late eighties, early nineties. So yeah, it's probably a compelling story. I don't know how well they'll tell it. Um, I would definitely watch it. Yeah, Vanilla Ice. Um an interesting character and obviously a sweetheart apparently i hope they cast the same guy who played suge knight straight out of compton and just kind of build some kind of weird cinematic universe yeah around yeah him. yeah just keep putting <laughs> him in things so uh from one iconoclastic musician to another it's time to talk about jarvis cocker his project jarv is the record is called beyond the pale it's out about a week now let's hear a track called save the whale and then we'll talk about it See 
right, Greg. Do your thing. Um, yeah, so Jarv is, is quite an un- unfortunate moniker, right, for Jarvis Cocker's new band, I think. Like, he was talked out, apparently, of using just Jarv, which I think works. Um, so it's Jarv is dot, 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 which the ellipsis is apparently very important. It's a five-piece joining him. Um, he's now kind of got female backing vocals, uh, lending a Leonard Conair to things, which you can hear on a number of tracks. And he's got, like, musicians that are skilled in, like, classical playing and improv and... At the centre of it all is Jarvis Cocker, who I'm sure people are aware of, but if they're not, he's essentially like um, Alan Bennett with a libido. He's maybe Britpop's true kind of hero, to my mind. I think he's one of the very greatest British pop stars, mainly because he kind of recognises how ridiculous and like vaguely embarrassing both of those things are. Um, he's like a dab hand playing to those strengths as well, though. Sheffield artist well-versed in pop. Like he wrote a, a pamphlet about how what makes good pop music years ago uh, before he quite made it. And he's, I guess he's got a knack for storytelling that means that he could like subvert pop music while also making like the best possible form of it. Uh, case in point being, say, Common People. So many other great hits from Pulp, who were his first band. Started, I think, way back when he was 17. Uh, they did not break until Britpop landed and he was well into his 30s. It's like Britpop that as a movement caught up with Pulp the band. And I think they did the most sophisticated version of it because they had these amazing pop songs that kind of true back to, you know, great British bands, but also updated the sound a little bit, brought in dance elements. And the lyrics were witty, um, kind of character studies, kitchen sink dramas, hooks for days. They had a great run. Different Class was like their huge album. This Is Hardcore was like him being famous, going off the deep end and making a great like sleazy nocturnal grandeur kind of album of it. And they kind of bowed out with the next album then. And since then, Jarvis has been, he's released two solo albums. Um, He's done stuff that you do when you've kind of um, did everything you want to do in music. So he's like, you know, guest edited um, poetry collections and, you know, being a, an editor for Faber and Faber. And he's um, he's hosted shows on like Six Music, um, won awards for his Radio 4 program, Wireless Nights. Um, he's really good at that kind of like hushed late night narrator voice, which I think creeps into a lot of the songs on this album. And yeah, he's, he's kind of been dabbling in side projects, but essentially, you know, he was always kind of if not Alan Bennett, maybe like a David Attenborough documenting like the wildlife from like disco to disco or uh, Safeway to Tesco as he sang in After You, which is like a pulp comeback single. Um, And I think he has just been enjoying slowly becoming something of a British national treasure. Like he kind of occupies that space now, Um, which doesn't particularly maybe bode well for his comeback album particularly when it's called Jarve is seems quite self-aggrandizing and realizing like being a bit precious about that national treasure um status actually I kind of felt it was quite vital I think it's a good return to form much has been made about how a lot of it was recorded live um and augmented it's it's being described as an alive record and I think that actually as cheesy as that sounds it kind of works upon listening to it as someone that wasn't hugely into Pulp, Dave, what did you make of this? Well, uh, I kind of gave you a bit of a heads up early in the week and I said, in lieu of me offering a proper review, because it just didn't really appeal to me, yeah. I put together I, I, I put together a bunch of questions, you know, and okay. uh, you've, ans- you've answered most of those uh, with, with your preamble <laughs> there. So that's good. Um, I guess it's fine. 
It's grand. I don't really get them. Um, so one of my questions, Craig, that you didn't answer is, if I never got into Pulp, or if I even disliked them, is there anything for me here? I don't think so, because he's such a, a singular character, right? It's all about his point of view. It's about his voice. Um, he's, you know, uh, to my mind, an incredibly gifted lyricist. So you need to buy into that character, that kind of point of view of like being the outsider, kind of being raised in Sheffield and being a bit of an oddball, but like, you know, seeing pop music uh, and, you know, Top of the Pops and all that kind of stuff as your outlet and just becoming obsessed with it and then making yourself become that pop star. I think it's a really kind of compelling story. Um, but if you're not on board with that, like he's still doing the same type of thing. Um, you know, a lot of these songs move away from character studies. Um, so he's not quite, um, like it's, it's quite self-reflective. It gets quite existential, existential. It's, you know, Must I Evolve was a great comeback single, which is like a, a six minute or so odyssey of just mankind's history and our place in the universe and it touches base with um you know some of the scenes from sort of freeze and whiz where it's you know it, it ends in a kind of field after a an all-night ra- rave um but by and large it's him doing the jarvis thing so if disco 2000 was him in his 30s getting nostalgic for his childhood and feeling a bit like a fuddy-duddy back then and kind of talking about, you know, being grown up and having to grapple with having a family or maybe not having a family and things not quite working out. Well, you know, two decades on, he's still kind of doing that, um, maybe more authentically because he's now a dude that's like well into his 50s, I believe, and has kind of been there, done that. He's lived some of those characters a bit more. But it's the same stomping ground, um, just, I guess, more so. I will say, like, musically... Um, it's a bit more adventurous um, than the Pulp stuff. I think you're missing... Pulp were kind of underrated as a band, I think, because they were slightly limited, I guess, technically, but they always were concise. They had a great ear for, like, a piano or a synth or a guitar hook. A lot of those songs are carried by really kind of, you know, cheap synths, but just that they make kind of trilling with the melody lines and stuff. There's not a huge amount of that on this because I think there is a lot of improvisation. It's a lot of live playing. It's a lot of slow builds. And it feels like tracks that are meant to be experienced live with him just kind of vamping over them and just going off on flights of fantasy. And you need to, I think, (laughs) number one, it's not a great like listening at home record. I think you might want to experience it live. And number two, you do have to be on board with that tone of voice. Yeah, which can be a bit of a buy-in if you're not terribly au fait with it. Seven tracks, yeah. though. What What's all that about? It's one of my questions there, Craig. So it's like, it's like it's 40 minutes long, so I don't think it outstays its welcome whatsoever. I mean, the tracks are quite long, but I think it earns the running order. Because as I say, like certain tracks do devolve into these outros that are clearly coming from a dance mindset. Uh, they're clearly there to just like, there's just almost kind of like indie disco drops in places. Um, and I think like seven songs, Jarvis was talking about how he had songs lying around for ages and he just didn't have a band to do anything with them. So I think these were like the cream of the crop. These were, you know, lyrically quite well formed. Um, there was merit to, to the seven. He didn't go like, here's a, you know, a bunch of kind of snapshots of songs. Let's just throw it all in. I think they're well kind of honed and worked out. So I think seven was a good choice. It doesn't feel like a long listen. Um, 
And yeah, I think the songs are quite well-rounded. I like, to be honest, as a fan, I, I think this is maybe the best thing he's done since This Is Hardcore. Certainly for me, it's more gripping than his previous solo albums. I think this is like closer to his uh, perfect kind of sound. I think the band are a great springboard for those kind of flights of fancy. So if you've been on board with Pulp previously, if you've kind of lost track of Jarvis, this is probably your, a good point to come back on board. If you've never got him, if you've listened to Pulp and just thought, uh, yeah, he's not doing it for me, I don't think this will change your mind. On a scale of a bog standard guitar band album to say Metallica and Lou Reed's Lulu, how <laughs> pretentious is this one, do you think? Pretentious. It is kind of pretentious, yeah. Like a track like Sometimes I Am Pharaoh is, I was just listening to him talk about the genesis of that track and he was like in, um, he was in a, a French basilica um, just watching the tourists and then he was He's talking about how this lady came up to him who was distraught because she'd taken a photo of the altar and she was like, did God see me? Um, Like, I shouldn't have taken a photo. Will I be punished? And then she had this whole theory about how God is like a traffic camera and he just instantly knows when you sin and it's just added to your list. And then he combines it with like those kind of, um, those dudes that work as statues and just frighten tourists. And it becomes this whole thing where there's like a jump moment and it's very elaborate. I think he pulls it off well, but yeah, on the face of it, it's quite pretentious. I don't know. I've always felt like Jarvis is likable. He's quite down to earth. So he, when he gets pretentious, you go along with the ride. But if you're from a starting point of not really getting him as a character from, you know, from the outside, this can seem very pretentious indeed. Like he's the kind of dude that moved to France for a long time. He wears corduroy. He has a Radio 4 show. (laughs) I don't know what more I can say. Well, that's the dream. And I hope that one day we end up there. But okay, so (laughs) give me a number out of 10. Okay, this is an eight for me. I think this is really strong. I couldn't find many faults with it. Um, There's maybe some like emotional heft missing at times and it can get a little whimsical, but I think he's on top form. There's some great lyrics and the band, the band he's kind of assembled are very strong. They're his best bunch of musicians since Pulp. So if you like Pulp, if you've got a soft spot for Jarvis, this is a very good album. If not, maybe just move on with your life. (laughs) That's a couple of eights in a row for you, Craig. You're enjoying a good album summer. I'll be curious yeah. to know what actually has been doing it for you all year, but we'll talk about that later on in the year, of course. Next week, uh, we're, I guess we're either going to review this Midnight Taylor Swift folk album that's oh, dropping, or seen. if the Kanye album drops and it feels like something that we should Taylor Swift look at. is. Yeah, I, I <laughs> like, can't see Donda, Donda dropping. Um, well, I hope not now, because this is just like sabotage of poor Kanye at this stage. Taylor Swift's reckon revenge. it was... Come reckon on. it was engineered come so, really on. she can't come she's on. not that bad are you kidding <laughs> i'm in okay. i'm intrigued to see this new direction where she's going back to like yeah. her folky kind of country roots 16 fucking that- tracks though 11 yeah. of them co-written or produced by aaron desner of the national with yes. orchestration from his twin brother bryce bonnie vera is on a track as well it could be amazing i'm i'm going in with an open mind but my problem with taylor swift generally isn't so much her it's more like the excess as with every fucking major pop album give me a 10 tracker but i'll give it a go i'm excited it could be good came out of nowhere everyone's raving about one it of the tr- yeah one of the tracks is called the last great american dynasty and i'm just like it's Lana Del Rey. You've just been listening to Lana Del Rey again. Spoiler, but mate, I'll give her Taylor the benefit Swift of the doubt. Is the last great American dynasty. 
<laughs> she does not feature, by the way, in my top five this week, which of course is Songs You Hate by Artists You Love. I will say that the parameters of that, and I did pick this one, um, there's some here that I can't claim to actually despise. You know, it's more a case of like stuff that stood out. I found this very difficult to put together. Um, what were your own kind of going in? Like, 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 how long did it take you to get to where you were happy with it? Are I, you happy I, I, with it? Y- I, th- I think I'm happy now. It was a difficult one. I had one or two immediately and then I hit a real block. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, I'm not sure where to go with it. I'm the same as you in that I don't absolutely... Some of these songs, are, I can't say are really bad songs, but they do something to me that just really... either They're kind of cringy. They just put me off. They kind of scupper an otherwise brilliant album that's the kind of um, place I'm coming from. And they're all acts that like I really adore. So it's not just like I've kind of got a liking for this artist. They've put out crap over the years and I'll just pick one of those randomly. These are, it, it'll kind of pain me, I think, to pick some of these names as we go through it. Yeah, I think it'll become clearer with each one, but like there's yeah. kind of, there's some where it's like, oh, well, this is, you know, more justification than others. Uh, I will say also because uh, if any, if anyone missed it, episode 206, we did the inverse of this. Top five songs we love by acts that we don't love so much. And again, it's fertile ground. We could go back and do a sequel to either of these. But for now, we'll plow ahead. I'll go first. This is my number five. absolute state of that that is child of burning time even the fucking name of it man by slipknot of course my beloved off talk your beloved yeah well i I figured i had to come to play straight in straight in with the reducer (laughs) and so here's the thing right my my gut reaction to this was okay because i don't know about you but like i was like okay do I love the acts I've picked? And then also it became a thing of like, well, how many acts do I truly, quote unquote, unabashedly love? Love. Yeah. And that there's was not the that many one. of them. Like, you know, like there are, like maybe it's a bigger list than I, I was able to kind of crowbar in in a week, but like, like truly love, you know, like it should be kind of, you know, special. So Slipknot are obviously one of those. And I thought, okay, well, it's got to be tattered and torn off the very first record, right? Because that song just never worked for me. I always thought it was just a bit of sure. noise. I know I know, it's the worst complaint ever. But I will say that going back to that song this week, right? I was like, no, no, it actually works really, really well in the context of the record. And if anything, this list has made me appreciate it a bit more than I ever did. That's a good thing. So I couldn't really go for it. And then I thought, okay. And someone did suggest this to me. And I thought, and I did think of it as well. I was like, maybe. Because there's, there's a slight curio here with this song. The, again, Child of Burning Time fucking horrific John Grisham novel um, or, or more of like a Jeffrey Deaver novel I suppose but the thing is right, <laughs> yeah, it. it's a bo- it's a bonus track I don't know how you feel about bonus tracks but it exists it technically is, is a song that they made it appears on the bonus tracks of All Hope Is Gone a record that came out in 2008 and it's just so bad and it the big crime here 
is that this is not a Slipknot song. This is very, very clearly a Stone Sour song, Corey Taylor's side project that went very, you know, Midwest American radio rock as the more, every time a new album came out, it was just more and more like, yeah, like, you know, just jam on the fucking car and like, get out there. You can tell I don't drive. I don't even know what that sounds like. Well, we've was, talked, but- we've talked about his kind of questionable uh, formative influences uh, in terms of like glam metal from the 80s and all that kind of stuff previously, so... I mean, it's, yeah. it's a blessing, really. It's, it's a miracle that Slipknot were so well-formed and tasteful for the majority so of their that, career. Like, but, but this, like, don't get me wrong. I mean, Slipknot, like, not every song is 100% pure gold and, you know, like, there are some duds, but at least they sound like Slipknot songs. And, like, this is a band that does like to step outside their comfort zone and do some more kind of poppy stuff. There's always stuff on every record in that regard and it turns some people off. There's acoustic songs. But they feel actually the DNA of what the band is and what the album is. Fine, it's it's a bonus track, it's stapled on. And to me, I don't know how you feel about bonus tracks in general, but to me, they're like deleted scenes. I just can't get excited about them. I'm like, yeah, well, if yeah, not yeah. there, if they're not officially part of it, then they don't really count. There are good ones, Even course, the name, like, bonus, bonus track. track. Like, like yeah, you're being rewarded. Fuck? You're never being rewarded. But like this just really, I, I feel like this, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. The first time I ever heard it, I was like, this clearly is just thrown in there. It makes no sense in terms of the record. It makes no sense in terms of the band. It makes perfect sense in terms of Corey Taylor's other work. And it's just really bad. Like, like it's a crap rock song, bad lyrics, cheesy as fuck. It's not even knowing and kind of fun. It's just a really generic, poor relation. And yeah, here it is, baby. Speaking of bad rock, here's my number five. I'm so uh, sorry, Julian. He just goes for that, doesn't he? That was the Strokes um, with metabolism. Even the name, um, you could it could be mistaken for Muse, couldn't it? It could be like a resistance track. That's how like bad it is. This was when they'd completely lost their way. Of course, taken from Angles, uh, 2011's Angles, where they're all at odds. um, Claims that they weren't even recording together. I think that's kind of been dismissed by Julian recently. Um, that but the bands themselves even seem confused and couldn't remember being together in the room. And it sounds like it, to be honest. Um, like this is very much one of those songs where Nick Valencia is off in his boot by himself doing his kind of widdly wearying triplets guitar thing, and it's just like lyrically, it's the worst of Julian doing the jaded thing. Like he's just going on about. Uh, what's it? I want to be outrageous, but inside I know I'm plain, boring, and plain. <laughs> it's just him moaning about being boring and plain. Um, it gives me a headache. It's there's some great stuff on Angles. Um, Machu Picchu is great. Um, some very good songs, but like right in this cluster, there's metabolism. Uh, there's you're so right, which is kind of like a prelude to Void. So maybe that's worth saving a bit. It still sounds just. Really off for them. But yeah, the sound of this album is pretty horrible. Um, They were messing around with like MIDI samples that I don't think work and they sound dated. They sounded dated when it came out. I think they really actually missed Albert, Albert Hammond Jr. Like his, his, 
his, I guess, mental presence in the studio because this was when he was in a really bad way. Um, he was trying to get over his addiction issues and all that kind of stuff. And reading about the Strokes over the years, he seems like the guy that was initially like, okay, we're going to be called the Strokes and we're going to dress like this and we're going to have songs that sound this kind of way. Obviously, Julian was writing all those songs, but he was the guy that actually had taste and was like, okay, listen to these records and here's how we're going to like be this gang and this is how we're going to move. And then when he had his problems... Um, yeah, they just sounded like a bunch of guys competently playing absolute nonsense. Uh, It pains me because there's very few Stroke songs without merit, but I don't think this has any merit. (laughs) So yeah, the rumour was at the time that Julian Gazabankas had emailed his vocals and refused to actually link up (laughs) with anybody physically, and it sounds like that. It just sounds grafted on to a SoundCloud demo, and it's all over the shop. That album, uh, which, again, you take one look at its cover, and you kind of know you're in trouble. Oh, it's the worst cover of all time, isn't it? Horrendous. The fucking chessboard flooring, the kind of, yeah, weird... (laughs) It's so bad. And it was like, like, they went pretty big on, like, you know, they're back, it's their comeback, and it was just like, no, this is a fucking mess. Machu Picchu's great, and the closing track, I've mentioned it before, Life is Simple in the Moonlight, is one of my yeah, favorite stroke songs stunning. but in between it's just this fucking car crash and yeah top selection it's, i wondered what you'd pick i knew you're gonna pick the strokes and i oh, wondered what it would yeah. be yeah i was trying to figure I, it I out the fact, i think the fact i think the fact off uh, the third album but i'm glad you didn't it could have been maybe i was thinking about 15 minutes where they do a pogues impression do you remember that one on that third album and it's it's actually a bit of a tune, but just the vocals way off. Um, I think it was easier picking a Stroke song now that they're officially back. Do you know what I mean? It would have been quite depressing if it was just like, and they've continued to go slide downhill. But no, the new album, thankfully, is great. Yeah, you're not kicking anyone when they're down. It's all it's all in good fun, you know. Like most things, we take the piss out of on this show. Speaking of number four. Yeah, that's a perfect circle. And the song is So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. Thanks for all the it's, fish. <laughs> it's from... <laughs> fucking hate this. <laughs> we reviewed it. It's from 2018 record Eat the Elephant. Their first record in fuck... How long was it? Like over a decade, I think, at this stage, maybe. Yeah. Um, and look, I, of course, if anyone doesn't know, they are the spin-off band from Maynard James Keenan of Tool fame. Um, their debut record, Mare de Noms, is excellent. The 13th Step is pretty good. And then it kind of all went a bit downhill. They had a covers album that included, Craig, a cover of uh, Marvin Gaye, who I know you hate. Um, so they covered What's Going On. <laughs> Hold on. You can't sp- just put that out there. What's going the on is slightly overrated. I love that band. <laughs> the amount of messages I have gotten in the weeks since that came out about Craig saying that What's Going On is an overrated record has been out of control. It is. I stand by it. 
Well, uh, so like the thing is, I do love a perfect circle. Um, I might even like the more than tool, just in terms of you know more accessible, shorter songs. I think that um, three libras by a perfect circle would be in like my top ten songs by anybody ever. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. So I was very very excited when it was announced that a perfect circle were coming back. I didn't think that they ever would, and ultimately we got a very middling record that I do like because you know I'm kind of trained to like it at this stage. Like like it's one of those ones mm. where you, like you, it's almost like you buy an album when you're younger. And, you know, you're like, oh, this isn't very good, but I paid money for it, so I'm going to have to learn to love it or something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And every time I go back to this record, much like every time I go back to, like, the most recent Health record, which is a really good album, it's just they've done better, you know? But with this one in particular, it's like, oh, I just want it to work so much more than it does. I can't get past how clunky it is, how Old Man Shouts at Cloud Maynard is on it, how indulgent it is. I'm really glad it's there. I do listen to it. I do like it. I can get by, I can get past all the cheesy bullshit. And there is some very good stuff on there as well. But so long and thanks for all the fish. And I remember like trying to like buy into the comedy of this and trying to really like, you know, like, no, 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 no. He Like he's being knowing and it's meant to be a, a critique of the world and how fickle we all are. And I'm just like, nah, I don't hate it. I don't, I, I don't hate the song. But let's be honest, it's terrible. It's really, really bad. I, I think you yeah. really went for it when it first came out. <laughs> like... Yeah, this was this was the main offender. But I must say, like reviewing that album, it was probably the worst week in terms of doing stuff for the show. It was the most painful album review I think we've had. It was what, spring 2018? <laughs> I think I was working out in BBDO and just getting the train out having to wade through that album doing my like <laughs> competent like five listens through or whatever and just being baffled by clearly a man that thought he was being super clever and just coming across so ham-fisted and i mean we should talk about the album cover art as well right which is like this weird two-faced kind of figure <sighs> with like best, a fucking squid thing. It, yeah <laughs> yeah eat the elephant indeed <laughs> horrible I'm I'm actually surprised. <laughs> I know you've I know you've a huge love for Perfect Circles earlier material, but to say still <laughs> that you preferred them to Tool after this was released and Tool is such a uh, kind of a very respectable, quite good, actually very good uh, comeback as well since then. There was nothing like this on yeah, that Tool enough, album, which I, I think <laughs> nothing is... at all. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I do like Fear Inoculum quite a bit. I understand the arguments against it, uh, but I do think it's a very good record. And yeah, this is very, very different night and day. Um, I think it's I think it's just the build-up. I think it's just how long I've kind of held this band in, in such regard that I managed to kind of let them put this song out into the world and I didn't really stamp on it for a while, but it, it just doesn't work. I can see what they're going for. It's awful. It's terrible. And it's time to move on. Cool. Okay, here's another case of the artist being knowing and uh, I guess kind of funny, supposedly. And oh dear lord. Trying to be so good. They stone you just like they said they would. They stone you when you're trying to go home. They'll stone you when you're there all alone. But I would not feel so all alone. Uh, yeah, Bob Dylan cracking himself up there, which is always like great to hear on a track. Uh, Rainy Day Women, numbers 12 and uh, 35. It's the opening track from 
actually a masterpiece aside from this blonde on blonde it's a double album it's a track i skip every time i put on that album because it's insufferable it's you know with everything dylan there's kind of apocryphal stuff around it and this is like okay the band were like stoned out of their gourd when they're recording it and that's what he was going for and actually it's a metaphor man and it's like yeah it's about drugs but also it's being like stoned for your your sins and biblical stuff and i just can't stand it because it's first of all it's painful on the ears it's got the most excruciating of his like harmonica openers which i've say mercifully saved you from um it's a rubbish pun it's it's a song that anytime he's asked about it he does that coy thing of like uh actually it's about many things it's just so up itself still i know this was recorded in 1966 like 22 years before i was born but jesus it still annoys me and yeah like it what annoys me about it is that it's so prominent still some people will defend it to the hilt uh yeah again i have a big problem with people just like hooking it up on tracks and being like we're being hilarious and just i can't get on board with it um it's got loads of like stoner humor in there which is never funny it's like you know the fan theories of like oh if you multiply 12 by 35 you get 420 man (laughs) get out of town so i put this question out on twitter as i always do i also asked a bunch of people directly to see what inspiration i would get and i asked david tapley recent guest of the show helped us oh, review okay. the most recent bob dylan record of course and a dylan aficionado for sure his instant response once he thought about it was rainy day women by bob dylan everybody must oh, get fuck. stoned fuck off lol these are his <laughs> sentiments so great minds craig well done and yeah my yeah, sentiments I'm- entirely I'm not a big fan of the uh, the knowing laugh in a song. It never feels natural. It always feels rehearsed. So um, number three for me, an act that you might expect to pop up or you might not because you might think, well, I'm slagging them off all the time. I couldn't possibly love them, but I did love them for a time and I still kind of do. I hope they come good again. So you might guess who that is. It's not the song that you think it is. Don't be fooled by the determined beat. It is, in fact, trash. It is Technologic by Daft Punk, taken from, I think, the 2005 record, Human After All, which got a real critical mauling yeah. when it came out. And I remember being like, oh, look, it's a bit of fun. There's stuff on here I like. And it is. I'm sorry. It is. It is a better record than Random Access Memories. Because <laughs> most records oh, it are is not. Random Access Memories. <laughs> yes, fuck it is. But it, this is bottom of the barrel stuff, Technologic. Like, it's just a loop. It's just this annoying, you know, chipmunked voice thing over and over again. It sounds like it's made to soundtrack the new Apple iPod ad back in the mid-2000s and nothing else. It, like, the only time that most of the stuff on this record works is when they do like one of their like their live albums and they basically like splice in it for about like 20 seconds and you're like, oh, it's familiar. I know that one and it sounds like Daft Punk, so I think I'm having a good time. But for an act that, you know, obviously are liberal with their thievery, uh, famously so... 
this feels like they just ran out of stuff to steal. And it was like, fuck, what is this? Like, it feels algorithmic in the worst possible ways. It's not enjoyable. Most of the things on that record are very loopy. And, like, they do a lot of loop stuff. I mean, you, you go back to a song like Rolling and Scratching, which is fucking amazing. And it earns the repetition and the little kind of changes. But then you get stuff like Robot Rock and stuff like Technologic. And you're just like, whoa, this sucks. It sounds like a parody of Daft Punk a little bit. Um, I was kind of bopping there to that clip. You might yeah, have because noticed. you're trained to. Because, no, because there's a chemical reaction. Because like, like it is like, like there is a, a like a dopamine hit. Because like at what they do, they're exceptional. But this is like compare this to anything on the first two albums, and it's like, oh yeah, where's like I hate saying like you know like oh, I hate saying like Maynard James Keenan, but where's the song? Seriously, where's the song? There's, oh, there's no song it's here. Just it's just a fucking complete and utter flatline. Yeah, okay, I'll agree with you. And in a weird case of like accidental synchronicity, um, speaking of chipmunk trash and a song that apparently was inspired by Daft Punk, my number three. My beloved Blur with Crazy Beat, <laughs> taken from 2003's Think Tank, um, produced by Norman Cook, <laughs> Fat Boy Slim himself. You're, you're kidding, no way. Oh man, it's so lame, it's so vapid, it's so nothing. It's like them trying to rehash song two, but unfortunately, Graham Coxon had just left the band. <laughs> So it's Damon Albarn on guitar doing a really unconstructed, to be charitable, like Neanderthal riff that's approximating Graham Coxon, I guess. Uh, It's a case of a Coxonation. Um, It's terrible. That's actually a very good album uh, because I think Coxon leaving pushed Albarn to kind of move more towards uh, slow tempo, acoustic-y, piano stuff. Some great, gorgeous sounds on that album. Very strong songwriting. It's got Out of Time, doesn't it? That's a great song. Out of Time, yeah, good song. Um, really kind of nice stuff, left left to field stuff. They were quite influenced by like Moroccan sounds and stuff. But this is just like, I think Damon had been hanging out with Norman Cook and they were just like, hey, produce a, a Blur song. It'll be great. And it feels really cynical as well, right? Because Song 2 had obviously been their biggest track by a million miles in the US. And this is just like, oh, this will do numbers in the US. And guess what? It did. So... <laughs> Did Being it? Okay, because I, I guess yeah, I not honestly, as much, not to the extent God, of song two, but yeah. Until you played that, I I honestly forgot about this song. I managed to block it out of my mind forever, and now it's back. Thanks. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry because that crazy bee thing, like it does its job if it really wants to just earworm its way in and like irritate people into listening to it. Mission accomplished. That stupid Daffy Duck fucking thing. It, it blots out Blur's, like, brilliance for me, temporarily. It's like a terrible, terrible eclipse of the soul. 
But also the guitar, right? Uh, that kind yeah. of style is extremely reminiscent of that horrible avalanche in the mid two thousands of just like these crap chart rock songs that weren't actually rock songs; they were pop rock songs, but they were clearly like made by committee. Stuff like Body Rockers, I like the way you move. Yes, yes, and totally in that school. There's one I'm trying to remember right now, and I remember if I remember this correctly, there was an actress in Neighbors who had a band, right? And they were like very short lived, didn't do anything. But they might have had a hit. And so I'm going to try and look this up right now because it's going to fucking drive me insane. So if I if I have this correctly, right? No, uh, Sonic Architect Adam through our chat is suggesting Holly Valance, who, no, it's not her. Um, it's Rogue Traders. The actress I was thinking of was Natalie Bastingwaite. And there was okay. an act called, an Australian electro pop band called Rogue Traders. What and I remember the they had a hit on in like 2006 or something. It would have been on the box all the time, so I would have been unable to escape it. Uh, I am looking it up now. This is me trying to cycle fast through Wikipedia. Voodoo Child. That's what it was called. It was Voodoo Child. Not a cover. Voodoo well, Child cover. by Rogue. Yeah, by Rogue Traders. Uh, okay. I might just for just for a full on maximum podcast effect. I might yeah, like, like try the and title is doing nothing for me. But you're, you're, you're dead right because obviously you know guitar bands had a bit of a resurgence. Obviously, hang on, hang on. And they were, I'm, I'm going to play it off. Oh, you've my got phone. it. Go on. Go on. Or, or does Adam? Ha- Do you have it, Adam? Okay, Adam has it. <laughs> okay, oh, <wow>. spectacular. <laughs> Best in the business. <laughs> oh, I know. Baby, baby, baby. Oh. fucking garbage and i feel like crazy beat was somehow responsible let's just blame crazy beat for it shall we yeah and let's blame alex james for some reason i just think he's got to be responsible right <laughs> sure yeah why not uh, oh yeah cool. he also said that he i forgot to say earlier on the show he said that um with the closing of q magazine rock and roll is dead <laughs> i think that was that happened when he like moved to the country and started making cheese but anyway all right so number two for me um just as a preface here right it is an act that i love an act that were very formative when i was growing up i still hope for the best from them but i feel like their best days are long gone and this song again rather than like despising it because i love the album it's from it's the last great album that this band made and in context it works but it's also it's the biggest stick to beat the band with and i feel like based on what you're about to hear it's hard to defend where are you I love this song. This sick strange darkness comes creeping on so haunting every time and as I stared I counted Wet from all the spiders catching things and eating their insides like indecision to call you and hear your voice of trees on will you come home and stop this pain tonight Craig Fitzpatrick is fucking vibing to this. That is, of course, I Miss You by Blink-182, taken from the self-titled record in 2005, I think, or was it 2003? Great album. I don't even dislike the song that much. I just felt I needed to, I needed to step up here, you know, and really kind of throw one out. Um, yeah. 
it's Tom DeLonge's vocal, man. And it's like, it's just, the, take your pick. It's it, like, like what, what, what bit do you seize on? Do you seize on like indecision to call you? Or do you seize on <laughs> I'm voice so of sorry. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm so sorry. sorry. It's, it's, I, it's just, and again, you're talking to a guy who fucking loved Blink-182. Loved Blink-182 growing up. Like, I was a fucking obsessed with them in my teens. Thought they were the best ever. Um, and I still go back and have a big soft spot for a lot of them because I do think that Travis Barker's an amazing drummer. I like a lot of Mark Hoppus' stuff. I've said before, I think Adam's song is one of the most beautiful songs about fucking what it's about, you know? Um, yeah. And so much more. I Miss You was huge. This was kind of like their Green Day comeback moment in a way. Because like this song was every emo's fucking anthem. There's even lyrics about Nightmare Before Christmas. We can live like Jack and Sally if we want. <laughs> That's so good. And you said, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you love this song. You love this song? I think it's a very good song. I totally, yeah, I agree with the vocals. But I reached a point quite quickly where I was like, this is comically tommed along so i'm past it and i'm i'm moving on to absolutely loving how cartoonish it is and how ridiculous it is and just because i think the song you wouldn't argue that the song is well written right it's just the performance does your head in is that kind of the case and obviously what it does it's kind of it puts you in an awkward position of detractors of the band can jump on this and being like these twats and you then have to scramble to defend them is that kind That's of the, the problem? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. kind of like, like I'd be like, no, 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 no. Like, there's so much good stuff out there too. And like, again, this is objectively a good song and it's a good pop song. But I think it's the one that like has haunted me, I guess, as a Blink fan for so long. I just <laughs> like, w- what can you do with it? If, like, if someone just does what I do and pick that thirty seconds and just plays it, you're like, yeah, fair enough, mate. You know, you got me. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, okay, in terms of um, defending the indefensible, this is maybe the same thing. <laughs> That's weird synchronicity with this band where I can't, I can't defend this. I'm sorry. They're the best American band of all time. But I can't <laughs> I defend know what this. this. Hey, <laughs> can't find nothing on the radio. Uh, you'll turn to that station. Radio listening. That was KRS One, the legendary rapper KRS One, um, demeaning himself on an OREM song, radio song, <laughs> uh, the opening track from their biggest ever album, Out of Time, and it's cringy beyond belief. It does not work whatsoever. I get that they're trying to do a clever commentary on the radio. <laughs> it's just... You have Michael Stipe doing his, like, earnest thing. Like, that. it opens with that, um... Well, after it has that really clumsy KRS-One thing of, like... It's not on the radio. Uh, turn to that song. After you get past that, you've got, like, a very typical, um, earnest, OREM, melodic, twinkling thing... And then you launch into them, I guess, trying to be funky. It sounds like Do the Bartman. And Michael oh, Stipe's doing... The is a crime. <laughs> yeah. Like, fucking hell. And, like, Michael Stipe's doing is kind of like, my name is Michael and I'm here to say. Like, it's that kind of level of, or I'm back in a hip-hop way. And KRS-One, who was obviously, you know, 
in the 80s, um, hugely influential. Um, but by this point, 1991, I guess, like you're talking about the year, maybe a year before The Chronic came out, Tribe Called Quest were releasing like Low End Theory. Hip hop had moved on. This sounds, even for 91, very dated in terms of hip hop. It sounds like a really out of touch band being like, let's do some of that hip hop stuff. And like, uh, it's a terrible mashup. It's it's just atrocious. The rest of the album I like. By the way, this album also contains um, Shiny Happy People, which I, I do not have a gonna, problem with. I thought yeah, you were going to yeah, yeah. Shiny Happy People. I really <laughs> thought it was like, coming. Yeah, but that's actually a good song. Like, I get why people are, are talk about the title is very annoying. They're doing the ironic thing as well. They're doing the, you know, pop songs are bullshit, but here's our bullshit pop song. But actually, it's well constructed. If you change the lyrics, it'd be a great song. But this is like such an awkward coming together of kind of folk rocky things, then into this terrible funk thing, then just the rap over it sounds atrocious. It was a weird time for like this kind of thing. Because I feel, you know, Sonic Youth had the Chuck D verse as well. None of it seemed to work. You're at a point where like Walk This Way was nearly the best possible version of that. And that isn't saying much. By the way, can I just say you had an you had an amazing ultra brief Freudian slip there when you yeah. said Michael stop. That's very good. <laughs> please stop, Michael. Please stop. We love you. <laughs> we care about you. Move All on right, with the number album. one. Number one for me. Can you guess? Can you guess the artist? I can't. Go on, give us a. Okay, fine. He's not up for it, folks. Uh, I will say that <laughs> this to me was the best example of the five of like, this has actually kind of tarnished the reputation of the act for me uh, oh, well. in a way that like, yeah, but like, because I feel like, you know, ultimately my, my attitude towards stuff like say like a bad remake of something or a bad sequel, I'm like, it doesn't really matter. You know, you've got the original. It's not going to fuck with that unless what happens is genuinely bad. And this is irredeemable. Try it. Such a fucking oh, nightmare. Man. That is Do It, Try It by my beloved M83, Anthony Gonzalez going all the way up his own arse and just it becoming unbearable to, to even like represent for this band anymore because hardcore M83 fan over here adore M83 so, so much. And this was the first single, which released on the 1st of March in 2016, the first single from the record Junk, which would follow. And yeah, throw in your obvious gag here. The hmm. seventh studio album by M83. And like before this, you had like, you know, the double album, um, Hurry Up or Dreaming, which of course at Midnight City broke them into the mainstream quite a bit. And, you know, it's a double album, so it's bloated by definition, but it's got some very, very, very strong stuff on it. Uh, before that, you had Saturday's Equal Youth, which was pretty great. And before that, of course, you have the likes of Before the Dawn Heals Us and Dead Seas, Red Cities and Lost Ghosts, even though I think I've got the name wrong there, like I always do. Two legitimate fucking classics. And the the opening subtitled album as well is great. Really, really amazing, epic, 
ambient, shoegazy, cinematic, wonderful pop that still to this day gives me chills. And then this came along, man, and it just fucking shattered everything. I was like, what the hell is he doing? This is, even even like the, the artwork, the font, the 80s kind of toys and, you know, the dog on the fucking single cover. And I was like, what, what the fuck is this? And then I know you think Junk is okay. I know, you, I know you're a bit of a defender. Mm. But this was when he embraced the 80s, which he'd already done. Like Saturday's Equal Youth was purely 80s in that way, but it was wonderfully constructed. This was like, let's embrace all the kitsch bullshit from the 80s, that, from, from the American 80s, the childhood I never had. The fucking apex of this was when he appeared on, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel, and he's dressed up as yes, fucking Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf. <laughs> he's playing synth, dressed as Teen Wolf. And at that point, you're just like, remember me and like Mick from the galaxy, like, big M83 fans like kind of just like looking at each other and being like well that's over <laughs> like like and I'm telling you man like granted yeah M83 put out Digital Shades Volume 2 last year and it's a pretty good ambient record but something broke something changed and I fear for the future of this project I hope it was something to just get out of his system but it's total rubbish has it done anything like has it gone so far as if you listen back to certain stuff you used to love you start questioning it it's not quite that bad right it's You're not like, quite oh, that bad, but it, okay. But it's so close. It like it's it's really close. Like it's just like this is actually. And I went back to Junk this week to listen to it. There is a couple of tracks on there, you know, that are like listenable. You know, stuff like Go and I guess like uh, Road Blaster and Laser Gun. Like even the fucking. Yeah, I know. Um, you see, but no, I, it's I, just a mess. It's a mess. As just a you know a fair weather fan. I found stuff to like in it and I didn't find it that offensive because I didn't have, I guess, that emotional connection. Like, I, you felt, I remember when it came out, you felt betrayed. <laughs> like, yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it, it, it genuinely was like Anthony Gonzalez had turned around to me one night and just bet the shit out of me for no reason. <laughs> and I was like, um, okay. It's, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Jimmy Kimmel forums because I was going to say that was the moment. I don't think I, I saw it at the time. I saw it on YouTube a few years later and... That was the moment I went, oh, I kind of get what Dave was talking about now because seeing that visual representation of what he was doing musically and just being like, this ain't it, Chief. <laughs> like, what are you doing? It was embarrassing, yeah. Um, okay, it was well. embarrassing. It was, it, it was like watching a friend of yours like, do something and you can't yeah. stop them. You're just like, like there's like, like a two-way mirror or something and you're like banging on it and you're desperate to get through and just please save them but you can't and it's just yeah honestly like a really like a, a record that like a record like records by an act that i've been so vociferous about and like you know stumbled over the line of pretension many many times but just pure fucking love pure unabashed love and adoration spat in my face craig that's what he did okay this might cheer you up dave um let's give the beatles a shooing <laughs> <laughs> medicine Wait for this now. Oh my god, oh, go on. I dare you hell. recommend this band now. Go on, do it. <laughs> Taken from one of the greatest albums of all time, Abbey Road. That is Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Um uh, yeah, you pro you probably haven't heard that song previously, have you, Dave? 
<laughs> no, I haven't. Hey, I'm sorry for bringing this car to your door. <laughs> that is, no, uh, listen, you, you've, you've finally intrigued me. I think I need to go and listen to this now. <laughs> oh, wow, it's Maxwell Sil- Silverhammer to finally get you interested in the Beatles. What are the horrors to lurk with? Yeah, lurk within the catalogue. You know, the likes <laughs> of Obladi, Oblada. Um, maybe Yellow Submarine, they all get a bit of a, a shooing, uh, you know, the kind of more childish, nostalgic songs. Mainly, I mean, actually totally from Paul McCartney. He just had this weird fetish about like old dance hall songs. I guess it started with When I'm 64, which is like a good pastiche of those old bands they were replacing. And it's like, oh, that was brilliant. Like you, you nailed that genre. Well done, Paul. We all had a good laugh. Now let's move on. He did not move on whatsoever. He continued to write these songs. This is about, a ch- like, I think a, a child serial killer or something like that. And he was, like, using the hammer as, like, a metaphor, along with the fucking anvil, bang, bang. The poor old Ringo had to play. It's actually <laughs> phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I think this is the song that broke up the band. Like, forget Yoko Ono. She's a saint. Leave her alone. This song, if you read their Wikipedia... The rest of the band talking about this song are incredible. Ringo remembered it as the worst session ever and the worst track we ever had to record. George Harrison talked about like spending at least three days on the song. Paul would just not let it go. And he was just like, we can't get it. It's a terrible song. Why are you making us record this? And Paul's like, no, no, we're we're finishing this track. Ringo said it went on for fucking weeks. (laughs) I thought it was mad. (laughs) Um, it's the one famously Lennon called um, more of Paul's granny music which is unfair on grandmothers (laughs) everywhere I think (laughs) and by the way this was at a time when like when the band were about to break up um, they had like emergency meetings right I think in 1969 Um, and part of like the discussions around keeping them together were like we'll give um the three songwriters in the band, like, fair billing. So, like, on every album, they'll have the same amount of songs and Ringo might get a couple. So, like, Harrison would finally get... Like, he had incredible songs, like, Pull My Guitar Gently Weeps. Loads of songs then that he used for in his solo career, all written and ready to go. And uh, Lennon was kind of saying, okay, now's the time to give George, you know, equal billing. And Paul was saying, no. There's quotes where he's basically saying, um, listen... That's a matter of taste. Uh, I think George had said, I think people like my songs. Like, maybe you should give it a go. And Paul said, that's a matter of taste. All down the line, people have liked my songs. Um, and basically said, up until now, your songs haven't been any good. So instead of, like, songs akin to While My Guitar Gently Weeps, Paul McCartney was sticking on, like, Maxwell's Silver Hammer. And, oh, Jesus Christ. It's so bad. It's just the worst. I, I adore Paul McCartney. I, I think, you know... He's a chipper fella. He actually seems kind of genuine. Considering what he's been through as like a revered musician since he was barely out of his teens, I think he's kind of kept it as down to earth as possible. And he seems kind of okay, but he's he's a total kook. And like he, the chipper side of him feeds into this weird, weird... I'm sorry, you calling him a total kook. It's a wonderful summary. Like, go on, keep going. Like, I can even get on board with, like, songs like Rocky Raccoon. Like, because he's a great songwriter, so you can kind of get away with it. And you're like, oh, yeah, they're just funny songs. But this is the worst song they ever did. It's the worst song maybe anyone's ever done. It's horrible. Between this, by the way, between this, topping this list, and I think when I'm 64, Peppers. Top tier, was oh, Sergeant Peppers. Most it? overrated album. Yeah, it was in there. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> 
I mean, you're doing a bang up job here of representing this band. You know? I mean, like, I kind of feel like I, I kind of feel like this is amazing advertising for people to never listen to the Beatles. So, yeah, I guess I, my adoration for them is such that. And this is such a small percentage of the work, right? And they're so vaunted that when they're bad, it just is quite stark. Um, but it all feeds into the story. Like, I, to a certain extent, I'm like glad it exists because it's funny and you have like, <laughs> I just love the whole band being that exasperated and John Lennon being like, Paul, no one likes Maxwell Silverhammer. Why are we recording this? <laughs> For weeks. <laughs> yeah. There's all like apocryphal stories of like you can hear in the background of like um of the track like the door slamming to the studios like Lennon just left <laughs> and stuff and it's like I well believe it. just like I'm out of here the band is done it's over incredible <laughs> incredible amazing thank you so much great great number ones I think for both of us this week yeah uh, really another good top dude. five next week of course and this episode of No Encore as always was engineered by superstar sonic architect Adam Shanahan check out his music is my fault and of course yes. Adam was involved uh, in the uh, recent production of the most recent Nilo single which is called You Can't Go Home Again. It's taken from his forthcoming debut album, which lands later this year. Um, I may or may not have heard it. We will obviously be talking to Nilo when it comes out. If you haven't checked that out, if you haven't checked out new songs from the likes of God Knows, he's got an EP on route, Bitch Falcon, some really, really good homegrown stuff going on at the moment. Um, earlier on, but real quick, we mentioned in like the rundown of the Mercury Prize sports team seemed to be the act that's getting the biggest kicking out of that list. And I hadn't really been too familiar with them. I'd seen some photographs and stuff and I was like, these guys look like pricks. And then I read an interview with them and I'm like, yeah, these guys are pricks. Um, very like, you know, um, kind of horrible mashup of like just the most pretentious British kind of like think above their station kind of like this band. Uh, Owen Murray, who I loved to bits, went mental at them today on Twitter. He was like, who is this band for? It's like, I, I listened to their album and I was like, it, to me, it just sounded like really bad art brute demos that just resurfaced. Yeah, that's or something. exactly what they are. I'm amazed they got and nominated. Like, it's shocking bad. Like it's really shit. Uh, like upper middle class bollocks. Like it's just real like, like they're, they're like oh prosaic songs about pubs and motorways and I'm like and they they're also how? yeah the bands that were taking digs at like Fontaine's DC um mm-hmm. which is like so we're siding with Fontaine's DC this on this occasion rare yeah rare enough um apart from that uh went back to the Michael Kuanuk album which I hope wins and also Mika Levi has an amazing score for a film called Monos that came out last year which I watched the film earlier this week and the score was as mesmerizing as the visuals which were quite mesmerizing what have you been listening to being on a Talking Heads buzz because of that book emerging and all that kind of stuff, I was reminding myself of how incredible they were. And actually, David Byrne's work with Brian Eno as well, separately, um, just just incredible stuff there. So check that out if you haven't heard it before. Um, apart from that, Wilma Archer's Cheaters, incredible song. I've been digging quite a bit. And stuff from Coco and Salt, who are two like mysterious, like anonymous um, acts, which I kind of always dig. They've just been putting out good stuff. So Coco's One Time Villain is really good. That's like dream poppy stuff. It's a very good song. And Salt's um, Wildfires, which is like more trip hoppy, like maybe jungle with some more substance. Um, so yeah, they're my shouts at the moment. Lastly, before we go, any update on your Frank Ocean vinyl odyssey? on the way it's on the way <laughs> when did you I order it again from, uh last october <laughs> so yeah i got an email confirmation that it's being shipped 
So that's something. It was unsolicited as well, um, which is very heartening. J. Paul, meanwhile, um, I ordered that final last June and still no word. Still scenting the discs <laughs> with jasmine petals. <laughs> Fucking Incredible. unbelievable. Okay, uh, patreon.com slash noancore if you want to help support the show. We'd love that. My name is Dave Hanratty. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore back next week. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. These days, we're all getting more screen time, which means we're also getting more blue light exposure than ever before. Too much blue light can make your eyes feel tired, dry, or blurry. It can also affect your sleep. Zenni's Blocks lenses help to protect the eyes by keeping harmful blue light out. Because they're virtually clear, add blocks to any Zenni frame for stylish, all-day protection. Get a complete pair of prescription or non-prescription Blocks glasses starting at just $24. Protect your eyes now at Zenni.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.